Friends, we've got two cutting-edge interviews back-to-back today. You don't want to miss this. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Our friends, we are going to blanket this entire hour with two eye-opening interviews, two great guests. You don't want to miss a single moment, but I won't be taking phone calls today so we can devote all of our time to our guests. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to The Line of Fire. One of the great joys that I have is writing columns, normally about five a week, and they're printed on a number of sites, but the key site we always point folks to is stream, stream stream.org. And uh, they're on other fine sites as well. And I have the joy there of working with my Catholic colleague, John Zmirak. He writes phenomenal articles pretty much daily for the stream as well, a website founded by James Robeson, to be a stream of wisdom for the church and the world together. And John's never done this before. He's been on the show with me. He's a regular guest on Eric Metaxas's show. You've probably seen him, heard him there before. But he reached out to me and said, I would love to talk about this on the air. A very important subject, the subject of Second Amendment rights, the right to bear arms. How important is that? How Christian is that? Is it of special urgency now? So he and Jason Jones wrote a lengthy article. It's, it's really a, a short paper, and it, it's, it's on stream.org. If you just click on John's name, you'll find it. God, Guns, and the Government a paper to send your pastor, why the right to bear arms is a natural cause for Christians. John, uh, welcome to the Line of Fire. Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Now, John, you've got a Ph.D. in English literature from uh, Louisiana State University. You're a scholar in, you know, Renaissance English literature, that kind of thing. I, I I don't think of you as like a hunter or an outdoorsman or... You know, somebody's got a gun collection. How is it that you became so passionate about this issue? Well, you know, I, I, I'm from New York City, and I never held a loaded gun until a couple of months ago. Uh-huh. And I just started going to gun ranges to try to learn how to, how to responsibly exercise my Second Amendment rights. I guess watching the left move more and more towards totalitarianism. I mean, we just saw today they brought up Attorney General Barr, and they treated it like a Soviet purge trial. They mm. asked him questions and wouldn't let him answer. They speechified. They shouted him down. Um, and, of course, seeing the chaos in the streets of cities like Portland and Minneapolis and Chicago and my native New York, uh, where the mayors tell the police not to protect ordinary citizens, not to protect their, their, their family-owned businesses or their stores, not to protect their homes and let unhinged, violent mobs uh, attack them. And, and what are these mobs, what do, they, what do they want? Do they want Derek Chauvin and the other cops who, who assaulted George Floyd arrested? Well, they're arrested. They're, they're on serious second-degree murder charges awaiting trial. So what else do they want? They won't say. They don't have specific demands, except defund the police, turn the streets over to us, I mean, what, what can we make of the demand to eliminate the police 
Who do they think is going to take the police's place? Clearly, the mob wants to take the police's place. And we've seen what happens in countries where that, where that occurs. <clears throat> in the French Revolution, where Christians were violently persecuted for years, maybe 250,000 Christians were killed by the French Revolutionary government in the Vendée region in 1793. Um, we saw it in the, in the Russian Revolution, where mobs took power, they disarmed the population immediately, and you saw the famine in Ukraine, the purge trials, the Gulag Archipelago. In Nazi Germany, the first thing, one of the first things the regime did was to take all the gun registration records that the Weimar Republic had compiled in, in an attempt to impose peace and uh, find out which of them were Jews and which of them were socialists and which of them were Catholics and take away their guns. And as soon as they disarmed them, that's when you had Kristallnacht, because they knew nobody could defend themselves. Studying the history, I, I, I started to see over and over again a direct connection between the personal and religious freedom that we as Christians think every human being deserves and the ability to defend that freedom against criminals, against violent mobs, and against a tyrannical government. Michael, do you know how many innocent civilians were murdered by their own governments between 1914 and 1990? And this is not counting casualties of war. Would you, do, you, do you happen to know the number? Or do you want to take a guess at the number? Well, I, I know we always speak of 100 million casualties of communism. I, I, I don't want to hazard a guess, though. It's so 170, go ahead. 170 million. Mm. 170 million, according to democide scholar R.J. Rummel. He documented it. The book is called Death by Government. And it, the fact, the whole book is available online for free. So if you Google Death by Government, you can look at the statistics. 170 million people into what they, those citizens, those peaceful citizens, had in common. The one thread that connected them. They had all been previously disarmed by their governments. All right, so... Let's say, John, and I'll play the devil's advocate here, push back a little bit. Sure. Let's say that I acknowledge this historically, and I acknowledge this on a purely secular level and on a purely uh, national level in terms of, okay, you could have a tyr tyrannical government, and it disarms the people, and then it can do whatever it wants, and you can't fight back. But the Christian ethic is different. The Christian ethic has turned the other cheek. The early church practiced nonviolence. So aren't you confusing American culture with a Christian ethic? Aren't, aren't you mixing two categories here? Well, first of all, I would say if Christianity taught us that we can't defend our wife and children against violent attack, we can't resist a tyrannical government that's burning our church or rounding up Jews or Catholics or blacks and sending them to camps, if Christianity taught that, Christianity would be false, okay? It would simply be a false religion, and the Romans and the Sanhedrin would have done the world a favor. Uh, Jesus didn't teach that, but when people tell you that Christianity preaches absolute pacifism, when, they teach it, when people say that Christians should not have resisted Hitler, should not have fought in World War II, should not have tried to assassinate Hitler, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, they are telling you that Christianity is false, not just because it's absurd and would result in the destruction of the human race. I mean, imagine if someone told you Christianity preaches total celibacy. Every Christian needs to be celibate. That's what I take from the Bible. You would know right off the bat that can't be right 
because then Jesus would, would have been calling for the elimination of the human race. He wouldn't be right. its redeemer. He would be its enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, you could read the Bible. If, the same kind of selective reading of the Bible that produces pacifism would also produce celibacy. And there were some Christian Gnostics who believed that. And they died out, unsurprisingly. <laughs> but one other thing. The, you can't make the New Testament the enemy of the Old Testament. When people say fighting war is intrinsically evil, and Jesus came to teach us that, then they have to say Jesus came to free us from the, from the lies his father taught the Jews in the Old Testament, because he told them to defend themselves. He told them to fight against idolaters. He told them to rise up you know, with the Maccabees. So how, that really would be two completely different gods. The earliest Christian heresy was the Marcionite heresy, and it said that the New Testament and the Old were enemies, and that Jesus was not the son of, of the God of the Old Testament, but actually he had come to liberate us from the false God of the Old Testament, and so the Jewish people obviously were evil and should be persecuted. The Marcionite heresy was one of the most dangerous in the early Church, and it actually was what provoked the Church to create a canon of Scripture to create its own list of what are the approved, authentically inspired books of the Bible, in order to fight against this very dangerous heresy. I find a lot of Christians on the left are falling back into Marcionism. Mm -hmm. They say Christians shouldn't own private property, that having private property is evil. Well then, when God promised and encouraged the Jews in the Old Testament to have private property, he was evil, he was false. Um, when they say the death penalty is intrinsically evil, well, it's commanded in the covenant of Noah. Again, you're being a Marcionite. And when they say that the Bible teaches pacifism, again, they are saying the Old Testament and the New are two separate religions that have nothing to do with each other, and you know, that's simply false. Now, what would you say to a Christian whose own personal conviction is pacifist? I would say he's mistaken, and he certainly should not try to impose that on public policy say, well, we need a campaign to eliminate the army uh, and outlaw police forces. We can't have anyone using violence in society, and I'm going to promote this as part of public policy. I would say, well, you are, re- you are misreading the Bible in a profound way. Um, so, you know, you right, so, heretic. <laughs> all right, so if we... And by the way, John, I, I love you recovering the Jewish roots of the faith. That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing to always remember, that, that the one builds on what comes before, not destroys it. Uh, you could say, okay, look, Romans 13, the government does not bear the sword in vain. So yes, the government should have military. Yes, the government should have police force. Yes, we should defend our borders against hostile invaders. But what's that got to do with individuals bearing arms. We have so much gun violence in America. We have the Sandy Hook massacres and things like that. Other countries don't have these kind of atrocities the way America does. So isn't there maybe a happy medium somewhere? Well, think about what you're saying philosophically. If you're saying the individual does not have the right to defend himself against immediate attack, he just has to endure it until and unless some policemen 15 or 20 minutes away arrive and draw a chalk line around his body and the body of his wife and his children. Think about that. Is that really what Christianity teaches, that we are just completely just part of the state and that outside of the state we don't have the right to defend ourselves? 
um, that seems to me a very dangerous thing. It seems like it's almost making an idol out of the government, saying the government is the only thing that can wield violence, and even if you're immediately attacked, you just have to wait for the agents of the central government to show up and protect you. Uh, that's well, no, actually, John, hang on. Let me, let me just join in, though, for one second with my own sarcasm, since you have often excelled in that. If the, the police are defunded, then what you'll wait for is the murderer is approaching your house. You'll wait for a counselor, a professional right. counselor that yeah, can help, yeah. help them uncover some of their inner pain before they yeah. slaughter your family. All right. I come back. I want John to unfold for us the three pillars of support that he and Jason Jones lay out for self-defense rights, natural law and human dignity, Judeo-Christian precedent in American history, and historical and contemporary assaults on religious and personal liberty. Uh, I'll tweet the link out again, and we'll put it up on Facebook and YouTube. Read the article. It's in-depth. I'm just trying to pull a few things out of John now. Read the article. Think it through. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, friends, what we're going to do is we're going to revisit this topic another day where you can call in, interact. We'll hear from folks on all sides. We'll look at relevant scriptures. Today, I want John to deliver what's on his heart and something he's become very passionate about. We just posted on our YouTube chat. We'll, we'll post the article shortly over on our Facebook page. If you're watching on Facebook and appreciate what we're doing on the Line of Fire and want to help us reach even more people, just click on the Donate button as you're watching on Ask Dr. Brown's Facebook page. Click on that. Your gift of any size goes a long way. If you're watching on YouTube, beneath the chat window, there's a dollar sign. Click on that, and that goes directly to what we're doing right here. Or you can go to our website, sdrbrown.org, and click on Donate. All right, John, um, before we get into your three pillars, in the article you wrote with Jason Jones, you talk about the social gospel, the progressive church, uh, looking to the state to do what the church is supposed to do, uh, taking away individual responsibility and rights and things like that, and then that somehow ties in with disarming a nation. Can you explain the connection there? Sure, sure. Insofar as the social gospel was a politicization of Christianity on the part of people who were losing faith in its divine origins, losing faith in the miracles, uh, maybe troubled by Darwin and thinking that, you know, we really did arrive on Earth by, by accident and by natural selection. All these reasons to de-emphasize the traditional moral teachings of Christianity were reasons to emphasize Christianity's usefulness as a political tool and a cultural tool to encourage people to behave nicely and to be polite and to be good citizens and to be obedient to the government. Um, these, these social gospel people who were losing supernatural faith were trying to replace it with natural reasons for why churches are still useful institutions. And you should still support things like Harvard Divinity School and the Episcopal Church and increasingly my own Catholic Church. Uh, I see my bishops more and more just trying to be civil servants. Um, we, we, we can't guarantee Jesus rose from the dead, but, you know, we can, we can start some anti-poverty programs, and uh, we can maybe teach your kids good manners. If you are 
auditioning for the role of being Caesar's guidance counselor and, uh, infor- uh, you know, training tool for the citizenry. Uh-huh. One of the things you do is you look, you look more and more at the state as a replacement for God and for the church. And you say, well, it's not for individuals to struggle and strive to live righteous lives. It's for the government to rearrange conditions so that people live better. Um, it, the, it, Woodrow Wilson was a, the, the leading social gospel person. He actually believed that the U.S. government was the tool of the Holy Spirit, and that he, as president, was the voice of God on earth, and that by fighting World War One and imposing progressive policies on America, he was creating the kingdom of God on earth, using the government as the means. If you believe all that, you may be in a subconscious way, because you don't have the nerves to think it through. You're going to always defer to the government as the proper agent. The government will fight poverty. The government will restrict alcohol sales. The government will suppress hate speech. And of course, the government has to have the exclusive monopoly of violence, because you can't have crazy people defending themselves and their families. Disarm everyone. Make them all like sheep or veal calves, and the government will be the armed shepherd and will control and protect and discipline everyone. But of course, over the course of centuries, the church saw that doesn't work so well. Thomas Aquinas had to, you know, had to art, wrestle with, if you have a tyrannical government, may you overthrow it? And he said yes. With the Reformation, Luther and Calvin struggled with the idea, what if the, the government is restricting people's religious freedom, not letting them preach the gospel as their conscience tells them? And they eventually, especially the Calvinists, came up with the idea that Christians can rebel against a government that tries to suppress their religious freedom. Interestingly, some Catholic thinkers like Cardinal Bellarmine and this Jesuit named Suarez came to the same conclusion. And it was that conclusion, that sort of combination of Catholic and Protestant thinkers, all seeing that a tyrannical government that suppresses your religious freedom loses its legitimacy, and citizens have to be able to resist it. That's what led to the push in the churches for gun rights. And what's interesting is the, the most important piece of of gun-related legislation was the English Bill of Rights in 1689. When the Puritan, after the Civil War, the Puritans being, who had been repressed by the Anglicans and there had been horrible religious civil war, the Parliament in 1689 passed a bill saying no Protestant in England could be deprived of the right to carry a weapon. They specified Protestant because it had been Protestants, especially Puritans, Presbyterians, who had been repressed under, under Charles I. So that English Bill of Rights in 1689 explicitly connected religious freedom and gun rights. And that was the bill that our founders directly copied, except they left out the limitation to Protestants. They said, citizens have gun rights and well-ordered militias. We need them as a defender of liberty. That's what came in our Second Amendment. So our Second Amendment arises directly from the concern of English-speaking Protestants for their religious freedom. And I think those two connections are incredibly important. And if I one more minute, I don't want to filibuster. Go ahead, but go ahead. The R, what really brought this home to me and made me want to write this, and it's going to be a book, uh, was when Jason Jones, my friend, the pro-life activist, religious freedom activist, he came back from Iraqi Kurdistan. 
And he had met with men, fathers and husbands, who lost their daughters and their wives to ISIS. He'd seen them carried off, raped, turned into sex slaves, put in those computerized databases of sex slaves that ISIS operated. They had all, these, these fathers, he said, he never saw anyone more broken in his life than men who had seen this happen and were utterly powerless to stop it. Why were they powerless? Because the Iraqi government had disarmed them. They, it was illegal for them to have weapons. They couldn't defend themselves against ISIS. If you go a few hundred miles to the north, to Syria, northeastern Syria, you see Christian militias working with the Kurds, defending themselves and their religious freedom, and they were the people who defeated ISIS with American help two years ago. Look at the contrast there. A bunch of victims of rape and murder and torture in the one place. A functioning free government with functioning churches and religious liberty in the other. That's how important this is. All right. So, again, we're talking life and death issues. A whole question we could take up, it's obviously a whole different discussion, is could there be an American revolution without some of this philosophy? Would some of us have said, no, we should not rebel against the governing authorities, etc.? You know, those are obviously tangential questions that can come out of this. Again, we're posting the article in different places to make sure you read it. So you, you've interacted on some level with different aspects of the three pillars of support, natural law and human dignity, Judeo-Christian precedent, American history, and historical and contemporary assaults on religious and personal liberty. Just take one more minute, though, and kind of bring this to a shrill close in terms of why you feel this is so exceptionally important in America today. If, when you have mayors saying the police will not protect you, and we're going to let angry mobs with Molotov cocktails and bats uh, tear down statues, attack churches, destroy businesses, single out their political enemies and kill them. Bernard Trammell, a black Trump supporter, was murdered in, uh, in I think, in Wisconsin just two, two or three days ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When, you, when you see the civil authorities say, we are turning over the streets to violent mobs, it is time for every responsible American, but especially Christians, exercise your Second Amendment rights. If you don't have a firearm, get one and learn how to use it. Organize with your friends. Remember, it was citizens and militias that founded this country. Those weren't the National Guard. They weren't under the royal governor. They were volunteers forming militias to protect themselves first from the Indians and then from the British government. Our Second Amendment was written with that in mind. All our founders believed that armed citizens in militias were the final guarantee of liberty against a tyrannical government. There's nothing more tyrannical than a mayor stepping back and letting armed mobs attack people. We saw what happened in St. Louis. A huge mob comes up on these people's private property, the McCluskey family, breaks down the gate, comes on their private drive, is on their front lawn. These two people had this wonderful, beautiful house. They'd spent their lives restoring. It was a historic landmark. It was going to be looted. It was going to be burned. For all, for all Mr. McCluskey knew, his wife might be raped or killed. They held up their weapons. They didn't shoot at anyone. The mob dispersed, and the local leftist prosecutor, who was elected with massive help from George Soros, is now trying to put them, put them in jail, charge them with felonies for standing on their own property and just showing weapons. That's the kind of tyranny we face today. All right, friends, in terms of the warning and the urgency of the hour, I am step for step 
with John have been sounding the alarm as well. And, and my great calling has been stand up, speak up. John has challenged you in a different way. Think these issues through. Come to your own conclusions. I, I wouldn't say with John that you're a heretic if you're a pacifist. Okay, so well, I think we can argue about that. Yeah, 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 we can we can have another discussion and have a friendly friendly debate on that. But these are these are very important issues to to think through, to look at. So check out the article, think it through, come to your own conclusions, and then feel free to join in on the stream in the comments section and weigh in there. Hey, John, thanks for joining us, and I look forward Thank to the you. book you're going to write on this. God bless you, man. God bless you too. All right. Bye-bye. Friends, um, think these issues through, all right? Think these issues through. Uh, John's a respected colleague, and uh, important issues. Like I said, you know, I don't agree that you're a heretic if you're a pacifist. I understand why many of you would be. But where's our country going? What should we do? What's responsible? What's irresponsible? Important questions to ask and think through. We come back, I'm going to be joined by author David Horowitz. Fire we want, for fire we It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Line of Fire broadcast. You know, as a radio talk host, we get constant books sent to us and proposals sent to us. Can you have this guest on, that guest on? And we're only able to take a few here and there. It's rare when I reach out to an author and say, hey, can we have you on? But I got David Horowitz's latest book. He is the author of the best-selling book, Blitz, Trump Will Smash the Left and Win. It's right now on Amazon, number one bestseller in political leadership. I reached out to Dave and said, hey, could we have you on the air to talk about this? And regardless of where you stand on President Trump, I think it's really important that you get the cultural insights from David Horowitz, who in his younger days was a radical leftist and became conservative, not through religious conviction, but seeing what actually happened in culture and society. Hey, David, thanks again for joining us on The Line of Fire. Appreciate your time. Are you there? I am. All right, perfect. David, let me ask you just an upfront question about Blitz. You're able to add a few thoughts with the coronavirus pandemic and the economic shutdown, but basically you wrote the heart of the book when the economy was cracking before the pandemic, and you say that that Trump is going to blitz the left and win, do you still feel the same way? Um, even more so. Oh, oh, uh, you know, the Russia hoax has been followed by the coronavirus hoax, where Democrats uh, are hoping people are stupid enough to think that Trump is responsible for every coronavirus death. I mean, the reality is, Trump has no authority whatsoever over the health care system in the United States. We have a federal system. Uh, it's controlled by the governors of the respective states. And the worst states, and the worst of all, of course, is New York, are Democrat-run states. But, you know, whether you blame Democrats or Republicans or realize that this virus it's complicated, it's new, and people have made, everybody's made a mistake about it. But, um, <laughs> you, you will realize that Trump has 
no responsibility for uh, for the pandemic. When Trump's responsibility was to replace ventilators that Obama had used up to replace masks that Obama had used up um, to get uh, vaccines going, which he's done, uh, and to get tests going, which is the we're the biggest tester of coronavirus in the world. And, you know, you could go on to the, the the next problem, which is the the race hoax. First the Russia hoax, now the coronavirus hoax, and the race hoax. There's no evidence whatsoever that there's a police, uh, systemic police racism against blacks, quite, quite the reverse. Whites are more likely to be killed by, by cops. You know, the sleight of hand is, is that... Um, with the Democrat, I'm, I'm watching these terrible hearings where the Democrats are behaving like thugs, um, and their their position is: if more blacks are arrested than than our uh, uh, present, you know, percentage-wise in the population, for example, if there's 34 percent of uh, criminals arrested are black, but blacks are only 13 percent, that that's discrimination against blacks. On the contrary, blacks account for 50% of the violent crimes, and that's why they're uh, arrested more than their proportion in the population, because they commit more crimes than other people, uh, other groups in the population. Um, And their victims are black, too. So the attacks on police are hurting black people in the inner city, as everybody but half a brain would know but but the reality is the violence that the democrats have encouraged the democrats are on the side of the criminals well you know portland has been burning now for two months and the democrats are calling this arsons and shootings and uh, um the explosives that they set off uh peaceful protests you know, nobody in his right mind can believe that. You you have to be consumed by such hatred um, for America. I, I used to think it was just Trump, but it's America that they hate. Um, to think that. The Democrats are calling these peaceful protests, but when Americans see footage, as they will see in all the Republican ads, uh, of their cities burning uh, and the Democrats saying that these are peaceful protests, they're going to vote for Trump. The first thing people want from their government is safety, security. Republicans are going to offer that, and Democrats can't, because they're in bed with these terrorists. Now, David, you you have argued that the left uses race in a destructive way. Because people would listen to you and say you're racially insensitive, you're just you're white supremacist talking. You would argue that it's it's Anybody the reverse. Anybody uses the word white supremacist to describe America today, you know, belongs in a loony bin. It's so stupid. It's unreal. We have uh, Colin Kaepernick, who declared July Fourth a celebration of white supremacy. This guy is the son of an interracial couple. He's black. He's worth 100, 
uh, probably $200 billion by now. You know, he's a moron, or he's just a vicious liar. Whichever, whichever, he's not a very attractive human being. A lot of people who support him, but I think they're going to wake up sooner or later. I think the black community is going to vote in larger numbers for Trump than they have voted for a Republican in a long time. Um, and uh, I think the black community is, has already shown and it wants more police, not less, because their inner city blacks are the victims of these black criminals. You know, you can't mention the fact there's a black crime wave in this country. Uh, but, but there is the big problem, or that black race racism is rampant. But it is. It's a much bigger problem than any white racism. What? You can't name Who are the white racists? I mean, if we're talking about real racists. You know, uh, name me one figure. Everybody knows David Duke. Who listens to David Duke? But Louis Farrakhan can, you know, hold a march with millions of black people, even though he's a raving, lunatic, anti-white, Jew-hating, and America-hating racist. Farrakhan traveled to... Iran to chant with the mullahs, death to America. And yet he's embraced by the Black Caucus, he's embraced by Black Lives Matter, he's embraced by Antifa, he's embraced by the Women's March. Um, black racism is a very serious problem in this country. And of course I will be hung for any of these remarks. And I think that's why my book Blitz is so popular. It's like number 10 in the country, although is not getting any publicity from the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN or anything. But that's because I talk frankly. And I think most people know the truth, but they're really frightened and should be to speak it. I mean, the more people who speak it, the better off we are. But you can pay a terrible price. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the 24-year-old mother who was killed because she said all lives matter. That's worse than any of the deaths that the uh, Black Lives Matter movement is ho- are holding up is uh, um, problematic. So, most, so Dave, most of them are, are about people resisting arrest. You resist arrest, you're taking your life in your hands, as George Floyd did. All right, David, Especially let, if you're suffering from COVID and uh, fentanyl abuse, as he was, and if you have uh, heart disease, which he had, of course you're going to die if you resist arrest. So let, let me ask you one, one last question as we've got a, a, a hard break sure. coming up here. Since the media is so overwhelmingly anti-Trump, and since social media is overwhelmingly anti-Trump, why do you think so many Americans are ultimately going to vote for Donald Trump? Because Trump has, the Trump campaign has enough money to put the videos of what's happened to our country on the tube. You, you know, you, if you watch CNN, you'll never see a riot. Um, but I don't know if you were watching the hearings today, but Jim Jordan started off the hearings with this 
video, which was a first a collage of all the CNN and MSNBC liars saying this peaceful protest, and then the arson, the cities burning, the you know uh, objects flying, the police being carted off to the hospital. I mean, they've injured thousands now of police officers. They've killed people. They've set off a crime wave. They, you know, murder rates are spiking like 100, 200% in these cities. The Trump campaign will find a way to tell people who, who, who are blocked by NBC and ABC and CBS from, from seeing it. Um, and, uh, you know, if you live, if you're a, a suburban housewife and you see that Trump ad about, 9-11, where the 9-11 operator answers and says there's nobody here, and it's a five-day wait to get a response, that'll send chills up your spine. Got it. And the Democrats will be exposed as liars, which is what they, every time they move their lips, they're lying. I can't believe what I've witnessed today in these hearings. Just It's just un, un, unreal. You know, this, uh, I never heard of this congresswoman, Lucy McBath. She's a real idiot, but an obnoxious human being who was attacking Barr, who was the attorney general, uh, over the health care system. And he was trying to say, I'm a lawyer. I don't have anything to do with the health care system. She wouldn't, you know, he had to get it out between her. She went attacking him and condemning him. It was just disgrace is people have no respect for other human beings hey, david we are we are out yes, of sir. time the book is blitz thanks for coming on the air with us i appreciate it sir. all right all right my friends um stay right here i got a bunch to say stay right here not orj it's the line of fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Okay, friends, I asked for it. I invited David Horowitz to be on the air. I asked for it, and he spoke freely. So I just want to speak for myself uh, in a moment here, all right? But uh, David was my invited guest, uh, 81 years old, uh, liberal Jew, agnostic. I believe his wife is a believer. Uh, <clears throat> David is not hostile to the gospel. He is simply not a believer. So just want to put that out for you. And when you understand his background, you know, radical leftist, and believing in so many of the things that are being espoused today and understanding Marxist ideology and how things work, and then seeing some of this unfold in our country and then sounding the alarm and having a switch to conservative values, not because of a religious transformation, but because of a cultural transformation um, <clears throat> or you know, social worldview transformation, uh, he's brilliant with his insights on what's happening in culture. He really understands how the radical left works. He's, he's full of insight with that. And in his book, Blitz, 
He really lays out exactly why and how Trump has been targeted, okay? Uh, clearly lays out the uh, – I'll give you an example. I'll give you – excuse me uh, – an example. Uh, after the tragic shooting in El Paso last year, white supremacists that, that David Horowitz would identify as a white supremacist uh, wanted to kill Hispanics, right? And over 20 are killed, mainly Hispanics, others injured. So it, it was a racist shooting. There's no question about it. And Trump made a very strong public statement speaking against racism, speaking against bigotry, denouncing white supremacy and saying why these things are ugly and we as Americans must stand as one voice. He even made a bipartisan appeal. Basically, all of us, Democrat, Republican, all of us need to stand together to speak against this evil. So you'd read this speech or hear his statement and say, Mr. President, I agree with you. I didn't vote for you, but I agree with you. Or I voted for you, and I'm proud I did. Either way, we would all agree with the statement, which was very, very strong and clear. So in the book, David Horowitz explains how the headlines reporting it basically attacked Trump. And, well, he didn't know it. He went after hatred. He didn't go after guns. And then the New York Times, though, had a positive statement that he called for unity. He opposed racism and called for unity. They gave an accurate description of what happened, which led to an outcry against the Times. And uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez even said, even, even said that, that uh, the Times was supporting white supremacy with a headline. So Trump comes out, denounces it, denounces racism, bigotry, white supremacy by name and calls on all Americans, Americans to stand against the hatred that led to the violence, okay? And then the Times is criticized for supporting white supremacy by accurately reporting on a speech. And the pressure was such that by the second print edition, they changed the headline. This is some of the crazy stuff that's going on that David does such a good job of exposing in his book. Now, had I known that David would share things as he did about George Floyd, I would not have asked him on to talk about that, obviously. And the last thing I'm going to do is, is criticize George Floyd, in, <laughs> obviously, for a thousand reasons. Uh, and I, I understand larger societal issues that can be talked through and addressed, etc., but I'm convinced that as I look at David Horowitz's past, that he wants to see a better America for everyone and is convinced that the way the Democrats are driving things is destructive for Americans, will perpetuate the poverty of the inner city, will perpetuate the broken families of the inner city. Will, will perpetuate a cycle of violence in the inner city. And in his view, Trump is the guy that was brave enough to address something that he thought was wrong. In other words, if he had an issue with a white politician, he'd speak his mind. If he had an issue with a Hispanic politician, he'd speak his mind. If he had an issue with a female politician, he'd speak his mind. If he had an issue with a black politician, he'd speak his mind. Well, in doing so, he broke certain rules. 
because you can only say certain things about certain people without being accused either of misogynist or racist or whatever. So Trump doesn't really care about that. You say he's offensive. Yeah, he offends everyone. In other words, to me, it's not racist. It's, he's he's going to speak his mind. I'm glad he said the other day that he regrets some of the tweets he puts out. Now, Nancy said to me, well, where's the self-control to not put them out in the first place? He's the president. I, I understand that. I understand that. But at least he said he regrets them, and he regrets ones he retweets without looking at more carefully. Either way, either way, <clears throat> it's, it's just important to hear this, that there have been tactics that have been used And this has been the radical left. The radical right has its own problems. Right now, we're seeing the rise of the radical left in America and the destruction that it brings, all right? And I've been drawing attention to it because no matter what it claims to stand for, it will ultimately stand against the church. It will ultimately stand against biblical values. It will ultimately stand against you as a worshiper and follower of Jesus seeking to live by biblical principle. The radical left will turn on you and devour you and you're already in the crosshairs, okay? I'm already in the crosshairs. That's a, that's a given, all right? And ultimately, this is a spiritual battle, not a political battle. <clears throat> that being said, it's important to see where the agenda is going. It's important to see where it leads. And, and one thing that David points out in his book is, is that the radical left, and, and elsewhere he's pointed this out, is arguing and pointing to some type of a Marxist utopia that doesn't exist anywhere. Because the more Marxism and socialism take over and communism take over, the more destruction they bring in their path. The more destruction follows in their wake. But the point is this, the point is this, that you are comparing things to a non-existent utopia of everybody. This is perfect love and harmony and justice. And with human beings on the scene, that's not the case with any nation on the planet. So it's evil America, it's evil this, it's evil that has to be overthrown, and then you replace it with something far worse, far more dangerous. I was talking to a pastor yesterday, and he said Chinese church leader had commented to him that the only thing stopping socialism taking over in America right now, says a man fled from communist China, the only thing stopping socialism taking over in America right now is, is Donald Trump's re-election. That's his position. I wrote an article, my latest article, let Trump do what he does, let the church do what it does. In other words, even if Trump could be a wedge that would stop some of the growing anarchy, chaos in the society, he's not going to solve the problems, nor would any elected official solve the problems. And Trump brings his own baggage that, that brings harm along with the good. All right, the church is going to have to rise and do its part and do its job. Now, one other thing I want to say, uh, it has been my policy for decades, if I'm going to differ with someone, differ with them in a respectful way, uh, not name call, not uh, belittle people in certain ways, I'll have differences. You'll, You'll never hear me use some derogatory nickname for someone you know, Sleepy Joe Biden or Slick Willie, you know, for Bill Clinton or things like that, or Calypso Louie for Louis, Louis Farrakhan that, that uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh would use. As much as I absolutely oppose much of Farrakhan's rhetoric, I, I'm not going to speak about others in that way. So uh, many uh, talk show hosts, they're famous 
for calling everybody morons and idiots and jerks. Uh, I, I'm not going to do that. So I apologize for comments uh, from David that would be offensive to you. He's <laughs> listening. I'm sure he's doing something else. He's like, what are you, some jerk apologizing? But, but anyway, hey, I am who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus, all right? So I'm going to stand. I'm, I'm going to speak out. I'm going to speak up. I'm going to be hated for it. You stand, you speak up, you're going to be hated for it. You're going to be reviled. You're going to be rejected. Absolutely. Bring it on. We bear reproach gladly for the name of Jesus. We don't compromise. We don't bow down to the gods of this age. And Jesus said, hey, the worst people can do is kill you. So don't fear people. All right? So I'm not trying to win anybody's favor. I'd be nice. I'm trying to honor the Lord and be Christ-like. So, again, I asked for it. I had David on to talk about the book. He had a bunch of things he wanted to share. I let him speak freely. I absolutely agree with the larger thrust of his critique of where the country is going. And it'd be very interesting to see what happens with the elections, whether he's right about Trump winning in a blitz. But for sure, regardless who's president, church has to do its job. We must rise up and make a difference. We must rise up and make a difference. Also, if you're listening earlier, I want to repeat it is not my view that if you are a pacifist, you are a heretic. And there are many verses in the New Testament we can discuss that build on the old. We can discuss those. Uh, so we'll have, we'll have further discussion about these things. Uh, so some uh, provocatory interviews today. And uh, again, the trust we've built over these many years, that's who I am. And there's a reason we can have honest dialogue and differ in the midst of it while still uniting around Jesus. All right, friends, we got a very important show coming your way tomorrow, and we're going to talk with someone who's been really changed by the Lord. You don't want to miss the broadcast.